And in this series, what we're doing is we're not just reading the Bible. We're actually, how did Jesus live? What did he do? And uh, we set the premise of this that Jesus came in a very difficult time on the planet Earth. I think if I would have been the king of glory, I would have found a time of peace and joy where everybody was unified. But Jesus didn't do that. He walked right in the middle of, uh, of governmental uh, injustice. He, he stepped right in the middle of prejudice back and forth. Greeks, Romans, Jews, Gentiles. I mean, all this women devalued. I mean, he stepped right in the middle of it. And he showed us not only what God's heart was, but he showed us how to live that out in the midst of difficulty and what that could be for our life. He is our example. He is the goal for each and every one of our lives. I'm going to date myself for a moment. Uh, when I grew up uh, in elementary school, we had this game we, we played called Mercy. Anybody remember the game Mercy? You take your fingers and you get with somebody else and you interlock your fingers and then you crush them down on each other. And, uh, and if you were strong-willed like me, your fingers would be breaking and falling off, but I would not call mercy. There was something about that. And I want you to know, as a little smaller fella with little shorter, powerful hands, I dominated the mercy game. I mean, all those bigger guys with those long fingers, you know, that they, they just didn't have a chance because I get right down in that crack, those first couple of knuckle ends uh, closer to the hand, and just crank down, and they, and these big guys would, and then came Devontae, and came to our school, and he's about like me, cool little black dude, little kind of just, and Devontae killed me, and so I never played Mercy again. I've titled the teaching today, Mercy. Turn to the person next to you and say, Mercy. Our key scripture is found in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7. Look at this. It says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I'll read it one more time to you. Blessed, this is Jesus speaking, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, his core teaching, his core values that he ministers there in the book of Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7. And, uh, and he opens with this piece here in this verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. See, when you're guilty, mercy removes the misery that you should receive. Mercy removes the misery. See, mercy means getting what you do not deserve. Mercy means getting what you do not deserve. How many guys have had mercy bestowed upon you? Come on, somebody. How many of you guys can look back at your life and know that there are moments and things that you should not be even here? I, I remember one of the moments that comes to mind for me the most is Jamie and I had this big Yukon, this big Suburban, and we were driving there in Louisiana where we're from down Airline Highway, and it's a boulevard. It's got a median, a little small median in some places, and most places doesn't even have a median. And we're going down, and we're talking. It's about dust. The sun has started to set, so not really, you know, the, the, the headlights are coming on, but they're not quite there, you know. And I'm, I'm just steadily talking, not really paying attention, doing about a 50 and a 45, somewhere like that. And not, not, not aggressively driving, but just kind of not paying attention. And on the cross, uh, 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 the, 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 um, the lanes opposite of me, there has been some sort of an accident or a fender bender, and people are out, you know, getting out of the car and that kind of thing. And and I can kind of see them, but I'm not really paying attention to them. And as we get right up to them, there's about a four-year-old that decides he's going to shoot across our lanes of traffic and go to the parking lot across the way. And as he takes off running, he is right in front of me, and I'm doing 50, and there is, he's within, he's 50 feet. There's no way I'm stopping this vehicle. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not stopping this vehicle. And at the last second, it was though the angels of God 
grabbed a hold to his mom. She looked and she saw and she dives at him, grabs his arm and jerks him back. As we go flying past, his little fingertips hit the side of my car. The kid would have been dead. And I began to imagine what my life would have been like in that moment. Having, having killed a child. Accidental, of course, but nonetheless, because I was incompetent, because I wasn't paying attention, because I was about my own stuff. And I just remember falling at home. When I got home and Jamie went off in the kitchen, I went down to my bedroom. I just got on my knees and said, thank you, God, for mercy. Because I can't imagine, I probably wouldn't be your pastor today if I'd accidentally killed a child like that. The, 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 the pain that I would have created for that family, the shame that I would have, even though it was an accident, I don't know if I could have lived through it. It would have just, it, the kid would not have lived from a vehicle that big, him being that small, and this thing going that fast. And I'm just so grateful for the mercies of God. His mercies are renewed every morning. Are you with me today? Say yes. Each and every one of us have stories of God's mercy on our life. Each and every one of us have stories where someone was merciful to us. With today's teaching, what we want to look at is not only God's beautiful mercy that he's extended to us, but how we can be merciful for others, especially in the generation in which we live. So I want to, I want to talk. Jesus, did, did, Jesus didn't just give us commands. He didn't just give us little slogans, you know, good ideas. He lived this out. And I want to look at a passage in Mark chapter 1, if you'll turn there with me. We'll look at when Jesus kind of had this moment with this, this guy with leprosy. Mark chapter 1, verse 40. All the way through 42, it says, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. This man drops down to his knees. Now, that's pretty impactful. I don't know if you've ever had anybody get on, your, on their knees begging you for something. Uh, maybe that's the only reason you said yes, sweetheart, because he's finally the first one. Anyway, but, but begging on his knees. He said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Verse 41, there's so much here to unpackage. It's so... In a few sentences, it almost doesn't do justice. Verse 41, filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Verse 42, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Now, we don't live in a time with leprosy. Uh, leprosy has been basically stomped out. They, they've, they're seeing some resurgence of it in some of the Asian countries, and, um, but, but, but it, it was, you know, we found cures to it years ago. But in Jesus' time, leprosy was so destructive. It had three destructive things that it would do to your life. First off, it would destroy your body. It's a, it's a flesh-eating disease. Um, and so it would start with your extremities, your fingers, your nose, your toes, your, your ears, and it would literally rot. Your flesh would begin to rot off. It, the smell was horrendous. It was a death sentence. In, in Jesus' time, there was no cure. Anyone with leprosy is a dead man walking. It's a matter of time. It's a matter of you put your fares in order because you're a dead person walking. Here's the second big destructive impact that it had on a life, and that was their soul. It destroyed their soul. Because you need to think of your mind, your will, and your emotions. Think about they became immediately an outcast. They were not allowed into the city. They were not allowed into the towns. They literally had to go. didn't matter if you were a multimillionaire. It didn't matter. You had to leave everything you had, and you had to go out into the wooded area, out into the, in, into the nowhere land, and just figure out how to survive. You could not be around people. In fact, if you were around people, in other words, if, as people were traveling from town to town, they had to go through these walkways, these pathways, these, you know, these, these roads. If you were along those roads, you literally had to cover your face, the original cover your face, corona mask deal, Co cover your face, and you had to yell out, unclean, unclean, do not get close to me. 
You had to acknowledge yourself that you were unclean. The humiliation of the whole thing. The loss of your family. There's no more touch. You can't touch. Not to mention the extreme pain that you're in as, as, you're, as your extremities are rotting off. As you, and to the touch of their skin. That you couldn't even touch their skin. The touch of their skin created pain up and down their spine. It's just unbelievable how horrific leprosy was. Not just their soul, but also then their relationship with their God. Because in the book of Leviticus, chapter 13, verse 46, uh, the Lord had put this thing into place. As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone, and he must live outside of the camp. Can you give that scripture online? As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone, and he must live outside the camp. So God had put this into play. That you could not come into the camp of people, but you also could not come to the temple. If you have to understand, the Jewish people did not have what we have. We have the presence of the Lord living and abiding in us. In fact, we are the temple of God, the Bible says. But in biblical times, before Christ, before the, the, the veil was rent, before his death and resurrection, that literally the people of God would go to the temple to experience their God. His presence would be there. Uh, they didn't have a small group life where the presence of the Lord could be in that. He would come and abide in that space. And as they engaged with God and they engaged with one another, this was, if you will, their, their, their times with the Lord. And so here you are, if you have leprosy, you don't have that opportunity. You cannot go to the temple. And rightfully so, because you didn't want everyone to get leprosy. They didn't have any concept of how infectious or non-infectious it was. They just assumed that everybody that got leprosy was going to give it to anyone they came in contact with. And there was some truth in that the best they understood with their medical you know prowess and where they were at in their time frame in fact uh, this stuff was so terrible that um that moms and dads would lose children children would lose their parents so all of a sudden you're an orphan simply because your dad contracted leprosy this thing was horrific it was so destructive they were dead men and women walking the moment that they had uh moment that they were um considered having leprosy now every now and then Something supernatural would happen, and a person somehow no longer had leprosy. And the, and the Bible says that if that's the case, they're to go and present themselves to the priest, and the priest will inspect them. And if they determine that they have been clean, there was this little process they, they would take them through, then they could be brought back into community. But outside of that, it was not allowed to happen. And the priests were not allowed, the people, the rabbis were not allowed to come in contact with a person of leprosy because if you came in contact with that what was considered evil in fact their concept of the day was if you had leprosy it was because you had sin in your life that leprosy was the result of some sin that you had committed and so as a result the judgment of God the the things of this horrible world was able to destroy you because you had committed some type of sin that was their concept of the day so when this man comes and he falls on his knees before Jesus Christ. He's breaking a whole bunch of rules. He's not even supposed to get close to anyone. Jesus being a rabbi, a teacher, if you will, his response should have been culturally to run away and say, get away from me. I can't touch you as a minister because as a minister, I'm going to be touching other people. If I get COVID, for, if I get uh, leprosy from you, I'll give it to somebody else. So I can't come in contact with you. But my Jesus, my Jesus, the man falls down and the Bible says that Jesus had compassion on him. 
And look what he does. He reaches out his hand, and what does he do? He touches him. He touches him. He touches that which is vile. He touches that which is socially unacceptable. He goes into the place of brokenness, and he brings mercy. He takes his place. He gives him what he does not deserve. He cures him in a moment of one touch. I want you to know, no matter what's broken in your life, if you'll cry out to the living God, he will not push you away. He'll not run away from you. He'll not say, well, when you get it figured out, then come back to me. When you get it clean somehow supernaturally outside of me, then you get so many people think, I'm going to be a Christian one day, but I, I'm gonna get, once I get it right, then I can come back to God. God's saying to you, dummy, come to me now. Let me touch you. Let me have access to you, because when I touch you, it all goes away. This is considered the most horrible thing that could happen to a person in biblical times. You think about the horrific things that we go through in our time frame. Jesus would step right in the middle of that, just like he stepped right in the middle of this, and he'd bring the cure. He'd bring the transformation if you and I would just let him. When Jesus touches this man, I want you to picture all the people standing around. I want you to picture their response. I want you to understand the horror that they have as someone with leprosy busts up in the middle of their crowd, falls down on their knees and begins to cry out. I want you to think about cancel culture for just a moment. They're pulling out their phones and like, you ain't supposed to be doing this. But Jesus cancels cancel culture the moment he lays his hands on them. They're like, this can't happen. You're not supposed to. This would be paramount to Jesus going in the middle of COVID to San Francisco Hospital where people are dying of cancer and HIV and walking up in there with a mask on. Everybody would have been losing their minds in this moment. But Jesus says, I don't really care because his need, his pain, his suffering, I can fix it just one touch. I can transform it because I have mercy when others do not have mercy. I can give kindness when no one else wants to give kindness. He's not a throwaway to heaven. In fact, he's valuable to the people of God. We have to begin to make that shift and say, you're valuable just like heaven loves you. We love you too. Are you with me today? Say yes. Come on, are you with me today? Say yes. Jesus didn't just talk about it. As you go through scripture, you see many times people, have mercy, son of David. And he'd stop and he'd give life. Have mercy. I know that I'm not even a Jew and my daughter's dying. And I know Jews don't like us Samaritans, but don't let my daughter die. Have mercy. I'll give mercy here. Absolutely, I will. Have mercy on us, us blind men that no one cares about. I have mercy for that. I'll give you that. I'll give mercy. I'll, give a, I'll take your place. I'll give you what you do not deserve because I'm the God of heaven and earth living amongst men. Jesus didn't just talk about it. He just didn't do it here and there. But I'm reminded of that moment as he's naked up on a cross. He's been beat with a cat of nine tails 39 times. Stuck in his back, shredded all the way back from the back of his neck, all the way down to his buttocks as they shredded every muscle on that back. And then put a, put a cross on his back and said, carry it up the hill. And once they got him up there, nailed him to that cross. Can you imagine? I want you to picture being there. And men all around, women all around are cursing and spitting. The Bible records multiple people yelling out, you could save others, but you can't save yourself. You're a fake. Ha <laughs> ha! And you get what you deserve for being a fake. In fact, the two thieves on either side, one begins to curse him and humiliate him. And Jesus, in the midst of all of that, as they're gambling for his clothes, one of the last things he says in Luke chapter 22, verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they do not know.
what they are doing. Say mercy with me. Mercy. 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 Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. How can he say that? I can tell you why he can say that. Because he knows something that most people forget about. And that is there is eternity awaiting us. What you do in this little 85 years that you might get has so big ramifications on the next billions and billions and billions of years that you will will live. Either you will live forever damned away from God or you will live in his arms, his loving arms forever in heaven. And Jesus is looking at them and he don't want any of them to end up in hell. He doesn't care how vile they're being. He don't care that they're beating. He don't care that they spit on him because he knows the pain and suffering of hell versus heaven. He knows that forever they will be damned. God, have mercy on them. Don't hold this against them. Father, have compassion. Lord, they don't know what they're doing. Let mercy reign out over justice. Abraham Lincoln said it like this I have always found that mercy bears greater, or excuse me, bears richer fruits than strict justice. That mercy bears richer fruits than strict justice. Wow. Wow. We live. In an era where people are crying out for justice, and it's so true, things need to be made right. But listen to me, believer. There's something so much bigger happening, and that is eternity awaits. People's lives are in the balance, and you and I, as believers, must live like our Jesus. When they beat on him, he didn't curse them. When they ran up to him, putting him in jeopardy, for getting sick and diseased with leprosy. He touched them. Let mercy reign in the earth today. Oh, I don't know about you, but we need a little bit more mercy these days. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. I, I, I don't want to be like everybody else. I want to be like Jesus. I just want to be like Jesus. I, I don't have it all figured out, and I don't do it all right, but my Jesus, I want to be like this. I want to be like him. Are you with me today? Say yes. And so let me give you a couple thoughts. It's hard. I know it's hard. It's hard to be merciful to someone who, number one, who you have vilified. It's hard to be merciful to someone you vilified. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. Years ago, I realized that I had this horrible thing about my life. I, I realized this horrible truth about myself, and that is I always had to have a villain. There always had to be a bad guy, somebody. Somebody in my life had to be the bad guy. My boss, pastor. One of the co-workers, one of the other ministers with me, always had to have a bad guy. Everyone had to be a villain. I, I don't know if it was the years of growing up with, you know, superhero movies and stuff, you know. There's always got to be a Darth Vader. You know, there's always got to be, you know, like a bad guy. But I realized I always had a villain in my life. There's always somebody I was mad at. Always someone who was standing in the way of me going forward. Always someone who was holding me back from what God had from me. Always, always had a villain. Until I came across that passage of Scripture that reads that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. Can I tell you something? That person's not a villain. That person's just a dude or a dudette with all their messy stuff too. We're not wrestling against them. They're not our enemy. There is an enemy. The Bible makes it real clear who the enemy is. 
And that is Satan and all the fallen angels that went with him that are now demonic forces and principalities that are standing against everything God has for you. Friend, we are fighting the wrong battle. We are mad at the wrong people. We are mad at the wrong entities. We should be frustrated and agitated and bringing forth spiritual warfare against every demonic force that has come against your life, come against your children's life, every spirit of perversion that's wooed your your kid away. That's a demon that's come after them. Every bit of of confusion. Listen, every bit of of disunity. that Here we are. A multiracial church. I mean, listen, we are one-third black folk, one-third white folk, one-third Hispanic folk, all the beautiful Asians and Brazilians and everybody else sprinkled in. It's magnificent. It's wonderful. But let me tell you something. There is a demonic force that wants to bring such disunity. And it's it's been it's been poured out on our nation. And here we are looking at each other. Do we love each other? Do we love each other? Yes, we love each other. Let's fight. Let's fight against the right spirit, against the right thing, not each other, but against the force of evil that's trying to divide us. And when you and I come to that revelation, then we can be merciful. Then we I can look and say, say, you know what, listen, it ain't you. I'm not even mad at you. I can give mercy to you because I know the force of evil that's pushing and driving you, and I'm coming against that. But I can love you. I can extend mercy because mercy's been extended to me. Are you with me today? Say yes. It's hard, number two, to be merciful to someone that you don't know, that you don't know. Let me back you up. Let's go back to number one, you vilified. So I want to give you a quick mercy action. Got excited. Quick little mercy action. Someone you vilified. So here's how I want you to make a switch in that as we see scripture. Number, uh, here's how to, uh, when you vilified someone, here's the mercy action. Move your supervillain back to everyday human status. Okay? So who are you mad at? Who's the villain in your life? Just move them from that place in your brain over here. They're just, they're just a human. They're just, they make mistakes. They're not perfect. You know, or they're being used by the enemy but they're not my enemy. If you'll take them out, here's your action point, because I want to teach you how to to walk in mercy. Just move them in your brain, in your heart, out of the villain spot, and move them over here to just that person who just, you know, they're just human like anybody else. Because remember, as you learn to do this, just remember, you're somebody's villain too. You're somebody's villain. Somebody, when they go before the Lord and they're praying for forgiveness for someone who's hurt them, you're the face they're praying for. Just remember that. You know, oh, that person did me wrong. Well, somebody's saying that about you at some church somewhere in the world. And so what I've learned to do is take them out of the villain status, move them over here, just an everyday dude or dudette who's just making the best they can, and they probably have some trash and, and baggage that, that drives them to be hurtful, and they've been through some things that I don't even understand, but I'm just going to move them into that status instead of making them the villain. And I'm going to make the real villain the real villain. That's Satan and all of, his, all of his fallen angels that are bringing destruction. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. Here's back to number two now. Here's a, it's hard to be merciful, number, uh, number two, to someone that you don't know. Somebody you don't know. It's so easy to always talk about how great our kid is. I was interviewing some of the teachers during COVID, and they just had me dying laughing. They're like, it's amazing how all these parents before COVID was like, my kid's the greatest. You, why are you doing this to him? Why are you making the test so hard? Why are you doing this? You need to do this, do this, do this. And my little Johnny would never do anything bad. Oh, no, she's the sweetest kid. I don't understand. And give these teachers a hard time. Then we got in COVID. I mean, they had to homeschool their kid, basically. It's amazing. All the teachers were here, and they were like, please take him back. He's little, he's Satan. I'm telling you, I don't know. He's like his daddy. I don't know what's wrong with this kid. It's amazing, right? 
when, how quickly we think, when we, someone we know, like, y'all, y'all should have grace on them. They're really a good person. It should be, it, they didn't really mean it. But how ungraceful and lack of mercy we give to people we don't know. I'll give you an example of this. There's this guy named Tom Brady. And for years, I could not stand Tom Brady. I just couldn't stand him. I, I, I was a combination of things. His team always beat my team. He always had this little smug thing that he did. He's good looking. You know, left the model that he was hooked up with or went with another model, whatever it was. You know, inf- deflated the football so he could win a championship, you know. I just hate, I just didn't like this guy. There's none about him. And, and so when, when New England let go of him, I was like, yes, get you some. Now you out the door. You deserve it. You ain't no good. And then he went to this other team. And, and, and they started showing, showing him, you know, because they following him around now because he's with this terrible team that can't win anything. And they're, and they're showing footage of him with his boy. Buddy, we're going to work real hard, and we're going to win another one, okay? Okay, Dad, you can do it this year. And I'm watching them. <laughs> man, this guy, I can't stand this guy, man. And then he starts winning some games, and he starts winning some more games, and he's with the team that's terrible, and he's winning, and, he, and he's leading. And, he's, and every time they interview him, it's just the team. He's not talking about how great he is. He's not trying to get back at New England. Man, this, and then... Super Bowl and he wins and I'm like Tom Brady is the greatest and the reason why is because I had vilified him I had no mercy on him because I didn't know him it's easy to be merciless with someone you don't know say them the leadership and so here's my mercy action I would teach you and that is get to know him get to know him is that not what we've been crying out? Sit down, have a conversation. Get to know somebody that you have seen as a bad person. You don't have mercy for. You don't have any kind of grace for. Sit down and get to know them. Sit down with that boss who's made those decisions that it's affected and you've lost coworkers because they're just a terrible person. You can't stand them and you, you hope something bad happens to them. Get to know them. Get to know that person who doesn't look like you, who didn't grow up like you, who don't have what you have. Get to know them. Spend some time, because then it's easy to have mercy on someone you know. Think about how merciful you've been for your brother, your little brother, who's stolen cars, who should be in prison, who's gotten out of it, but it's your brother, man. You know, like, have mercy. You know, you go in front of the judge, and he's a good guy, kid. He just, you know, my dad wasn't there, and he had some bad times. Have mercy on him. It's easy to have mercy when you know him. When we put them out there as some kind of group that we don't really know and don't know anything about them, many times we lose mercy for them. So here's the third group, the third thing I would teach you, and that is it's hard to have mercy on someone, number three, that intimidates you. It's hard to be merciful with someone who intimidates you. You think about it. You ever notice how not sorry you are when someone who's super successful or beautiful has a failure? You ever notice how not sorry you are? Like, oh, 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 you wrecked your car. <laughs> oh, because they intimidate you, you know, because they got more money than you do. They've been more successful than you. You can't wait to see something on Instagram that something bad has happened in their life. 
<laughs> Why? Because they intimidate you. Because because they're better than you in your mind. They have more than you do. They had a leg up when you didn't have a leg up. They, they intimidate you. And because they intimidate you, you don't really have a lot of mercy for them. In fact, you want them to fail. You hope that something bad happens in their life. I used to be like this. There were those, you know, I didn't, we grew up with not a whole lot of much of anything. So when I get around wealthy, wealthy people, I, I just, they intimidated me. Our high, high, highly educated folks, that would intimidate me. And so when something bad would happen or something difficulty would be going on in their life, I had no mercy for it. I had no, I had no kindness for it. I had no desire to see them have something better as a result of the difficulty. I, I didn't really want them to have something better. I wanted them to have, like, the, I wanted them to be knocked down a notch to my level because I had put them up here in my thinking. They intimidated me. And so here's what I would teach you to do. First John says it like this in verse 3. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that's who we are. The reason why you and I have these people who intimidate us is because we don't know who we are in Christ. See, when you know who you are in Christ, no one intimidates you. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that's who we are. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. We're children of God. He loves us all the same. We, you may be entrusted with a billion dollars a year, and I may be only entrusted with $10,000 a year. Whatever has been entrusted, I'm still as valuable as you are. I know who I am in Christ. And so when you're intimidated of people, it's because you don't know who you are in Christ. Because you haven't come to the place of security in your identity. That, you know what, this is my lot in life. This is what God's given me. This is what he's entrusted me. I'm going to make it the best I can. That's what he's entrusted them. Hallelujah. Bless God for them. I hope it all works out for them. I can have grace and mercy on them, even when they're going through something terrible why not because they're better than me but because they are another human on the planet and because we are on the same level in Christ because in Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile male or female there's no hierarchy in Christ we're all his sons and daughters are you with me say yes come on are you with me say yes who are you who are you you're a son you're a daughter of the most high God no one should intimidate you, you should walk into every room like you own it I belong to Jesus he said, oh, but I didn't get a good education. Walk into that room and be you, boo. Be who Jesus made you to be. You're exactly who you were made to be. God loves you. He has lavished his love upon you. What great love the Father has lavished upon us that we get to be called sons and daughters of the Most High God, which we are. That's what this scripture says. I'm God's son. I'm his favorite. Turn to that person next to you and say, I'm his favorite. Do it again. You didn't say it right. Do it again. Say, I'm his favorite. Say it like you mean it. So here's my mercy action for you. Here's my mercy action under this point, and that is find your identity in Christ. Go find every scripture that says who you are in him. Go get a hold to the word of God and say, this is who I am. I may not have what he has, but he's entrusted me with this. I may not be what that, that person is or that person, but I know who I am. Because when you know who you are, you walk in a room a little differently. You, you can have mercy. When you, when you can have mercy with somebody you don't even like. Why? Because I know who I am. Jesus is looking at them. And he says, you don't take my life from me. I give it freely. Because he knows who he is. And so he's not intimidated of the richest, of the poorest, of the sick, 
of the, of the, of the warriors who could take his life? <laughs> I'm not intimidated of you. I have no intimidation because I know who I am. And I know what I'm here. So he could give mercy to the rich, the rich ruler whose daughter is dying. Instead of saying, nah, you, yeah, so you had good things on earth. You don't get it now while well, I'm here. And he could take the poorest of the poor and have mercy on them. Why? Because he knew who he was. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. Here's the next one. It's hard to be merciful to someone that's not been merciful to you. It's hard to be merciful to that person who hasn't been merciful to you. Every one of us have stories of merciless people in our lives. Took us to court when we could have settled it if they'd have just taken the time. Wanted, 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 they wanted to grind us down. You know, fired you without even giving you a chance to explain your actions. Humiliated you in front of people so they could teach you a lesson. Beat on you so that they could make you tough. Attacked you just simply because they could. We all have stories of merciless people in our lives. And it's hard to show mercy to someone who's never showed mercy to us. But friend, can I tell you something? That's the king that we serve. Years ago, <clears throat> I was in charge of this large organization that had just come in and there was I think like I don't know 30 40 departments <clears throat> that it was over and and one of those departments was a security department and being on that campus uh, they had everyone had a you know that ministry had a sticker that says that you were with that ministry because it was a large campus and you know you know keep everybody safe and just know that cars are where they're supposed to be and so forth and so I had been there just a few days. I'm still trying to get my arms around. I'm going from department to department trying to fix things right away, trying to introduce myself, trying to get things going. We're, I'm working 12-hour days. And uh, I get this email from the security department. Hey, we need you to come by <clears throat> and, uh, and apply for your security um, sticker for your car. Says it, you know. Now, I'm their boss, but I'm getting this email. So I emailed them back. Hey, could you help me? I am super busy. Uh, could you help me by, by bringing me one over, uh, maybe get it to my assistant or something like that? To which they responded, no, you need to go through the process like everyone else. To which I said, hmm, let me pick up the phone here. So I called over and I said, hey, listen, um, I, I'm, I'm not trying to be rude, but I'm, I'm dying right now and you could really help me. Would you mind helping me? To which this person responded, you know, that's kind of been my problem with people in ministry is that they want to go around things. We have a policy and a procedure here, and I think it's disrespectful of you to try to go around that. So I'm not trying to go around it. I'm just, I'm, I'm really struggling. I got so much going, and I just don't want to fail in this. Would you mind being gracious enough to just bring me one over? No, I think you need to go through this. To which I said, you know what, okay, I'll do it. So I stopped, I canceled a couple meetings, and I went and filled out their paperwork, did the little process that they wanted to do, they gave me a smug little grin, handed me a little sticker, I put it on my car. Three weeks later, the organization made a shift in some policies to which the security personnel were affected. <clears throat> Not in a real negative light, but just we wanted everyone at a particular meeting and much of that security team were not able, in the past, they didn't have to go to that meeting. So that same person calls me up and says, hey, listen, uh, our people don't really have, um, uh, you know, we, in the past we've been not had to be at that meeting and, um, and now that's a requirement and just wanted to know, uh, would you go back and, and, and allow us not to be, have to be a part of that meeting? 
So I said, hold up, I, I want to, whoa. <clears throat> so <clears throat> you want me, <clears throat> let's back up a little bit. <clears throat> what you're saying is you don't want to have to comply with something that's a policy now, and you want me to give you mercy on this. But let me back you up. Just about three weeks ago, you called me disrespectful because I didn't jump quick enough, and you felt like I was being disrespectful because I wasn't honoring the policies that you had in place, even though I'm your boss. And so now you want me to adjust that. Got real quiet on the other end of the phone. I said, you know what? I'm going to do that. We're going to make sure that your guys don't have to go through this. I think that'll be a good thing. But I do want to help you understand something. I don't know why you've got this thing in your heart towards people like who's in authority, um, but you need to get free from that. But I'm going to extend mercy. Your guys don't have to do it. I want you to know we love you. So proud of what you do. Can I tell you something? It didn't take but a couple weeks. That guy came back around, repented, became good friends. You and I, are going to be challenged probably about just about every other day in the days to come as to whether we're going to be merciful with those who do not show mercy to us. This is the world that we're going to move into. It's already started. The Bible says very clearly, Jesus said, if they beat the master, curse the master, and then murdered the master, what can the followers or the children of the master expect to receive in return? Difficult times are going to happen for Christians. But you and I can walk in mercy because our Jesus walked in mercy. Are you with me today? Say yes. <clears throat> so here's my mercy action towards those <clears throat> who have not been merciful to you. And that is this. Do something kind for the merciless this week. 1 Peter 3, 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessings. Do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult, but with blessings. You can bless those who curse you. You can do it. Why? Because you've been extended mercy. Because not a person in this room or watching online deserves heaven. <laughs> None of us have been good enough to deserve heaven. Mercy was extended. We're all full of leprosy sin in our lives. And Jesus has not only just cured us, but he's loved us in the pride. He's touched each and every one of us. And as a result, we can be a conduit to show mercy to others. Even though they don't deserve it, even though we don't think they, 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 they've been worthy of it, Jesus looked down at us and said, you know what? I'm going to extend mercy to you. And you, you, you and I now can be conduits to share that same mercy with others. And their lives can be changed. Because eternity is in the balance. This is not so much about who gets to win on earth. This is about the end of it all. This is about a life eternal. When you and I show mercy to people who don't deserve it, what that does is it brings heaven closer to their heart and they can see the Jesus that we serve because he would have done that. That's who he was. That's what he extends, mercy to those who should not receive mercy and who do not deserve mercy. Here's the last piece, and it's hard to show mercy to someone when you haven't allowed God's mercy in your life. It's hard to show mercy when you haven't received mercy from your God. Oh, guys, we all, we all carry shame from the broken things that we've done, the horrific things that we've said. Maybe you don't think that you've made mistakes, but ask your spouse, your coworkers. We've all hurt others. We all need mercy. But I want you to understand that many of you carry that shame 
of your brokenness. And so you've never really received God's mercy in that area. And if you don't let God's mercy wash over your brokenness, over your bad decisions, over your horrific actions, then you'll never be able to extend mercy to others. Hebrews 4 and 16 says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I like Ephesians 2, 4. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. Even when I was wicked and dead in transgression, he extended mercy to me. It was the, it was the rope out of my mess. It was the last. He extended mercy down into my mess and said, come on, take a step with me. Come on, let me have your hand. Let me pull you up out of that. That is the merciful God that we love and that we serve. His mercies are renewed every morning towards you and me. Friend, let the mercy of God wash over the fact that you cheated on your spouse. Let the mercies of God wash over the fact that you haven't been a good son or a good daughter, that you haven't been a good parent. Let the mercies of God wash over until you let the mercy of God wash over you. You say, I did it, God. I own it. Please, mercy, mercy, mercy. Until we come and throw ourselves at his feet and say, mercy, have mercy. Son of David, king of glory, have mercy on us. I promise you, he will not slap you in the face, kick you and say, ha ha. Finally, you did what you were supposed to do. He'll do just what he did with that leper. And he'll reach out and he'll touch us and cure us in that moment. The reason why you have continuing sin is because you've never let the mercy of God wash over. You've never let God's mercy extend to your brokenness. So you keep trying to fix it in your own strength. You keep trying to be good. And if I can just be good enough and I can just get to him and then I can show him how good I am, I can, I can, I can warrant the love that he has for me. I, 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 can, I can deserve it by working hard to get it. And so you're doing good deeds to try to get his mercy. Listen, he's already extended his mercy. You don't have to do good deeds. My good deeds are the result of the mercy that's been stoned to me. Not to get his mercy. He gave that to me freely and I received it freely. I can't, own, I can't work for it. I can't be saved by my own good deeds. I fell out the face, on my face at the foot of the cross and said, have mercy. And he extended mercy and he washed me clean. And in that moment, everything shifted. Because here's what he did. Jesus didn't just take my place, but he put me in his place. So he took his position of authority and power over all things. And he took my broken life, my little foolishness, and he not just healed me, but he put me in his position. And then he went and took my position and all the pain and suffering that I should have received. And my reward for my wickedness he took on himself while he put me in a place of honor and a place of glory he took his position and put me in it and then he took my position on the cross and he died for me friend that is the mercy of God towards each and every one of us why would we run away from that why would we try to make this thing happen in our goodness you cannot be goodness fall on the mercy seat and say oh God I can't make it I can't be a good dad I can't be a good husband I can't be a good wife I don't know how to God I fall on your mercy and guess what he does he extends mercy and he gives grace and he takes you and he picks you up and he puts you in his position as a royal priesthood, as a holy one, a righteous son, a righteous daughter. And then from that position of rightness, he begins to minister through you to others. Are you with me today? Say yes. Mercy, oh God. Let your mercy, mercy action I would teach you on this one is run to the mercy seat. Wake up every morning and say, Lord, I blew it yesterday. Fall on your face. Say, Lord, mercy. Have mercy. You don't only have to get in a, in a hand. Mercy, God. You win. How do I follow you? How can I be right with you? You know, as I think back on the last 12 months, I think how much our world 
has lost its care for one another. I think more than ever, the Christian should be a Christian. I think if we don't let God's mercy permeate our lives, that we won't be able to extend it to others. For you and me, this whole series about the life of Christ, I don't want to be like Adam McCain. I want to be like Jesus. I want to extend mercy to those who don't deserve it. I can't imagine if I put myself in his position that I'm at a place yet in my walk with Christ that I would hang there naked, embarrassed, humiliated, and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's mercy. That's the heart of mercy. Oh, man. I know many of you have been hurt. You've been wounded. You've been misappropriated. I want you to know something, that God's mercy extends to you and to those who've done that. You and I are a conduit for his goodness on the earth. Let us walk in mercy even as we receive mercy. Stop living in shame. No shame to you. He didn't, he didn't die on a cross so that you would carry shame. That's you trying to be good enough to get his approval. You can never be good enough or holy enough or righteous enough. You and I simply cry out for mercy and he, and he responds in a moment.